Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre, based in St Melitus College, which is a community of people studying and teaching Christian theology here in the UK and around the world. Graham Tomlin, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Jane Williams, in discussing God, life, theology, in fact, just about anything. Okay, well, we are going to gather again, and um, as uh, I was saying earlier on, uh, this part of the evening uh, is um, becomes part of the um, uh, one of our GodPod podcasts, which we put out and uh, is listened to all over the world, which is um, always good to, to hear. So, um, Miroslav, thank you so much for all you've uh, offered us tonight. It's this fascinating depiction of um, of home and, and the, the relevance of that to some of our contemporary debates, but also to... Uh, um, to uh, our understanding of God's big purposes within the world. I, I, just to begin with a, a question on that, I, I just thinking about it, I, I guess home feels different depending on how old you are. <laughs> I was thinking that if you're a teenager, home can feel a rather restrictive place. It's this kind of place you want to leave. Um, you referenced the prodigal son story. Prodigal son story is that of a, of, a, of a child for whom a very good home felt like a kind of rather restrictive place, and they felt they had to, had to leave. And there's obviously it's the two sons: the son who stays and the son who son who leaves. And I suppose just thinking about um, um, the young for whom home is a place you want to leave. That dynamic of leaving home, coming for home. What what what, what does this image of home sp- speak to um, to younger people for whom? home can sometimes feel a kind of restrictive place. How would you kind of, you know, translate that image if you're speaking yeah. to someone who is in that kind of age bracket? Well, you've picked up a particular season in the life of any human being, and it's a season of transition, right? It's a season of transition from childhood into adulthood. It is a season of transition to building maybe their own uh, home, right? And so in some ways, I, I think that sense of separation, that sense of uh, emergence of something that is one's own um, can be celebrated and it's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. It's not kind of a counter home move. It is a move within home toward, can be seen as uh, within home toward a home. Uh, I, I think though, what, what your question evokes uh, or, or, or makes me think is that we, we have entire cultural patterns being built on adolescence, on adolescent gesture, right? So that the basic sense of my own freedom is always already being on the move somewhere else than where I am. And then the, this restlessness that is a transition point becomes a, a permanent mode of being. And I think that's a feature of what might be described as a specifically modern type of homelessness. Crossing the boundaries, always leaving, not recognizing the good that is there, kind of gesture of critique, a gesture of kind of negativity that sets one free, but it doesn't necessarily, necessarily uh, build. And it translates into that sense of restlessness, rootlessness that you see so often, especially in a city like London, where actually it's quite hard to find a sense of long-term home because um, 
past, partly, partly because of the housing market, but other reasons why actually it's very difficult to find a, a place that is your home for the long term, unless you are very wealthy. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously, your own history, is, your own trajectory is, is one of finding, leaving homes and finding homes. It's, do you think that's affected your... Uh, <laughs> why this means so much to you, this concept of home? Uh, maybe I need to find a couch somewhere and a good psychologist. <laughs> Jane is your shrink. <laughs> and, and then maybe I can parse this, uh, parse this out. Um, um, maybe, maybe that's what, uh, why it means um, so much to me. Or maybe it is because uh, uh, right now I have a 19-month-old uh, daughter uh, who is uh, very comfortable at home uh, in the world. And I was reading all this stuff from psychology where uh, the moment the person enters the world, uh, alienation starts and the struggle and so forth. And so I'm trying to uh, think through the place of home in, uh, in the human experience. But it's also the, the current migration crisis. It's also a crisis of homelessness. And it's not that we did not have in the past centuries uh, homelessness, but we, we have the means to attend to it, and we are not for whatever reason. And even more for me, not even more, similarly for me also, a sense of not being at home in the home that we have built. We're kind of little Napoleons, right, uh, in the story of, uh, of great divorce, where, where we are surrounded by things that could easily be home, but they aren't for us because we are restless, because we can't affirm the good that the home is. And I'm, uh, I'm quite concerned uh, with that. Uh, and may maybe the concern is also that, given my experience, I have come to think that um, as much as I need to have a place that I can call home, I must have a heart that can identify it as home that can be attached to it as home. So the home building is a relation on things and entities and on the self. And it takes these two, uh, two moments uh, to have actually a home. And that's really what, uh, what to a large extent drives my interest home because that kind of transformation, necessity of twofold transformation to have home is essential, I think, in the way Christian faith thinks about the world as a whole. Um, you do. You said several times in the lecture. You pointed out the, the sort of strangeness of the fact that God, who comes to make home so that we can be at home, has to be homeless. Mm. So uh, uh, Jesus is born um, somewhere where there is no room in a place that isn't home. Uh, the place that, uh, that, that God's son should find himself at home in the temple rejects him. Mm. Um, uh, the, the, the people who become his friends the, the, and therefore part of his home run away and leave him. His own people reject him. This, uh, it's one of my favorite Christmas poems. It goes, if I'm, um, trying, if I'm actually quoting it correctly, um, to an open house at Christmas, home shall all men come to an older place than Egypt and a taller town than Rome, to the end of the way of the wandering star, to the things that cannot be and that are, to the place where God was homeless and all men are at home. Mm -hmm. And that sense that, that God's homelessness is also a hugely significant theological 
um, move that Christian spirituality is often paralleled, that actually we leave our homes, we, um, move, we move into the desert, we um, join religious communities that are a, a different kind of home. And I wonder how the homelessness and home motif connect there. Uh, uh, thank you for this question. I think it's a, it's a really important one. And maybe just to add to the list that you have uh, given so beautifully, um, the entire mission of Jesus, that is to say after his baptism and then after his time in the desert, um, arguably starts at home <laughs> in Nazareth. He's kind of pushed out of his home, leaves home because of that, but then continues a, a kind of the, uh, 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 in the mode of homelessness. And his disciples also take on the same kind of uh, homelessness. Uh, I, I personally think that this homelessness is a mode of making the world into truly God's home. Right, so that it's not a departure from, in a sense, home, but in the service of home. Uh, it's the mode of life in the world that has unhomed itself. If something unhomes itself, um, I can't be at home in it. <laughs> I'm homeless uh, in it. And of course, home is tied by mutual affection, by resonance, by shared vision of home. And if that thing is not there, homelessness result, uh, results. I think there's something kind of positive in this homelessness, and that's why I think we are also called to elective homelessness, but for the sake of home building rather than for the sake of remaining simply homeless. Just to pick up one of the themes you talked about in your lecture, which was um, something that we'd, we'd, what we talk about a little else these days in Britain, um, which is, of course, our own Brexit debate. And... Uh, which I think is a lot of time about home, and you spoke about um, identitarian politics, and you know we might think about populism as a way of thinking about that. And I, and I wonder, I suppose one of the things that we're trying to do, I think, is to understand what happened in Brexit, what happened in the election of Donald Trump, what was what this sort of seismic shift in the world has, has been, especially for those who didn't expect it coming. And I, I suppose my, my reading of it is that that actually, say, the Brexit debate. It's actually between two, two, two different impulses. There's a sense in which both sides of the debate seem to have a point to me. Mm -hmm. One is, and I guess my question is, you know, did you see this? Though, that on the, on the um, those who wanted to leave the European Union were those who valued a sense of Britishness, of, of the, uh, you know, the kind of history, the identity, the rootedness of, of, of this nation, and the fact that it was different from other nations. It was different. You know, we're different from the Germans and the French and the Spanish and the yeah, Americans and everybody else. And people valued that and felt that was under threat either from immigration or, or from a federal Europe or, or whatever, that, that sort of uniqueness, the distinctness that made this place home felt under threat, and that's why people voted leave. Those who wanted to remain were those who were probably open to what you were saying about you know, the need to be curious about others, to kind of welcome others into your space, to enable uh, to, to grow through that encounter with other people. And I guess you know, possibly the referendum forced us to choose between two options or two things, actually both of which always need to be held in tension with one another. And so I, I, I'm, I'm just curious, especially with your experience of um, you know, the Balkan War and in, in your upbringing and so on, how you read some of the things that are going on today 
And do you, do, you, do you see that sense of these are two things that need to be held in tension with one another and was been now being forced to being polarized over, the, over this in a yeah. way that we're not? You know, b before there was, a, there was a British Brexit, there was a Croatian Brexit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cruxit or whatever it's called. <laughs> Let's call it Croxit. <laughs> right? Um, because uh, you, you had a unitary state uh, which was then violently, but nonetheless the idea was um, originally not to have a violent breakup, uh, but to have a peaceful and then breakup to along ethnic lines. And divided along ethnic, along language, religious, the religious lines uh, were very significant. And obviously the power issues, economic issues was, were always, always in play. Now I, I can see the two, the two impulses. The, the question is how does one negotiate these two uh, impulses? Um, uh, what's, um, what's lost and what, what is gained. And I don't think in advance of things one can simply say one is uh, kind of clearly completely mistaken, the other one is the right way to go, you should always go that way. That seems to me simply not, not right. And, and certainly not right for somebody uh, like myself from outside to make any kind of judgment of this sort. I might have my feelings about things, but they're neither here nor there. It's your home that's, uh, that's at stake. Uh, and, and I do believe that um, it's important to have uh, particular spaces with, where particular kinds of um, um, gifts that each one of us brings can be nurtured um, I think it's very important also for those not to close themselves uh, antagonistically toward uh, others. It's the balance between when homes provide privacy in one sense, which is quite important, that we have a space which is ours that is not anyone can just wander in, but also hospitality. Yeah. And somehow that balance between privacy and hospitality is crucial to home, it seems to me. Um, that they provide a space where we can be hospitable to others, but we can also, when we choose to have that privacy for ourselves. I mean, I, I wonder if... Um, I was very struck by something you said right at the beginning when you were talking about orthodoxy and uh, whether we think of um, orthodoxy or indeed home as primarily about our boundaries or about what goes on inside the boundaries. Um, and I think a lot of the debates we often have are about our boundaries and not about what we actually want to happen yeah. inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a very good, very good observation. And I, I think we we often mistake the boundary maintenance as actually home maintenance. <laughs> and I mean, you can see that in in a variety of of settings. And I, I was always impressed by a very simple idea by Paul Hebert, uh, which was a, who was a missiologist uh, and developed this idea of center sets and bounded sets. And so you can define something by simply circumscribing and naming the boundary, or you can define it via what, uh, what that thing is centered around. Uh, and it always seemed to me that in terms of Christian faith, it's much better to define uh, our sense of Christian identity via what we are for than what we are against. Uh, it's more productive. And obviously we need to maintain also boundaries. That's again, not either or. But it's one thing to maintain them uh, by attending simply uh, shoring up the difference. And it's another thing to maintain them by focusing on the on the bodies peculiarly at the center of who we are. And then taking that forward, I guess one of my question is, how do we 
going to make a home for God in, in the present, before the time when the world fully becomes God's, God's home in the end. And particularly, I'm interested in the, in the kind of ecclesiological aspects of that, because you talked about temple. And of course, the, the church is called the temple of the living God, the place where God dwells. And, and I'm, I'm wondering about the, the role of the church in this vision of, of home, the extent to which the church is God's home in the present yeah, that, that would be one way to one way to go, and I still have to decide whether I want to go that that way. <laughs> I've I kind of thought of church as a kind of meta home, uh, something that stands for multiplicity of homes in which we live, we live, but is itself not a home. And the idea occurred to me when I thought about the house churches in the early church. House churches were so church was at a given house, but nonetheless a home remained as a distinct entity from the church. Church gathered and church scattered. And so it is a something that stands for God's mission in the world that inculcates that mission, that celebrates God's presence and what God is doing in the world, but which then stimulates and opens up possibilities of creating uh, actual homes, which are material spaces and uh, and places where people interact, people's interaction occur. So that's roughly what I thought uh, would be how how I thought about it. I, I just want to um, challenge you a bit, Graham, about what you actually said. You said, "How can we make a home for God?" Whereas it seems to me that what Miroslav was saying is that we can't. That the world can only be. God's home if, because God makes it home. We unhome ourselves regularly. And, and even in church, surely, um, uh, if we think um, we've made a home for God here, uh, then we tend to think we've sort of got God. God's part of our family and therefore not part of anybody else's. Um, and that doesn't ha- So I, I liked your image of the sort of nesting the sort of um, I'm, I'm imagining um, Russian dolls. Yes, exactly, that's exactly the image I had. <laughs> um, uh, because because that means you never quite know where the outside or the inside is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I suppose I, what I th- I'm thinking about is that idea of making room. And if if the history of the human race is actually, if you like, pushing God out of the world so that it's it, we, we we want to make him homeless, we want to push him out of the world then part of the Christian calling is to create spaces in which, um, uh, in which God, is, God becomes present to us again. Not that we create that, he creates that, but there's a kind of you know, interaction between us in doing that. And it's that that I think I have in mind, that you know, how do we um, resist that impulse to push God out of the world? So, so in some sense, maybe mediate between the two <laughs> of you. In, in, some, in, some sense, in some sense, uh, God is always already there uh, and knocking at the door to make, make an image, uh, seeking to be uh, at home, to be received, right? So there, but not received. Uh, and making space might be precisely this act of receptivity to the God who is already present. And I've got one more question before we open it up to um, uh, others as well. Um, something I'm particularly interested in is the relationship between home and housing, because the homes we live in are actual physical things with walls and sometimes in apartment blocks, or they may be sort of individual houses, or they may be shacks, or whatever it might be. And that, 
and how we build ho homes and how we build cities and towns and, and mm -hmm. villages and so on. I've just recently read a, a fascinating book by a Syrian architect called Marwa al-Sabuni called the, called the Battle for Home. And she, she lived in Hobbs in the um, city mm -hmm. to watch the destruction of her own oh, city. Wow. Um, but she traces it back actually that the divisions in Syrian society were sown many, many years beforehand, um, before all the kind of current civil war, when um, the kind of older uh, form of, of, of Syrian cities, which were based around extended families and uh, had lots of sort of open space, what she calls a sort of generous city, uh, which gave a lot of sort of shelter and water in a hot, hot country, but, um, but were based around extended family kind of networks. And they were erased and instead sort of concrete suburbs were built, which tended to separate out the rich and the poor and the Muslims and the Christians. And actually the divisions were sown long before mm. the Syrian war. And it was That's a fascinating account of how yeah. the built architecture either does or doesn't make home. And so I guess my question is, do you have any observations on the way in which we do build houses and homes that, 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 that make places more, more or less like homes in that way? Nothing really smart and profound. <laughs> uh, but I can see how important the question is. Mm. Um, not any space can be simply by an act of uh, will uh, or consorted even will turned into a home. It's amazing where we can find ourselves at home, but there, there are more places that are more conducive to uh, a kind of creating resonances and attachment and creating those resonances in, in attachment beyond just our nuclear nuclear home. I mean, there, there are similar uh, examples, right, of, you know, people raising, uh, in, in our contemporary Western cities, uh, raising neighborhoods, uh, high-rise uh, apartments, and what has been destroyed in the process is all the social networks. Assumption was that what one need was a material space, and not what one needs is a larger set of networks beyond uh, the family itself, and pretty soon the story is the, the gang members started controlling who rides the elevator, and the whole thing started crumbling because the social network has crumbled. So I think in terms of what architecture does, it has to facilitate building a larger social networks than are simply nuclear homes, yeah. and then it will be to the good of the nuclear home, in fact. Yeah. I think that was pretty clever and smart. <laughs> good answer. Very good answer, in fact. Thank you, Roslav. Well, we've got some um, questions that have come through from um, uh, people who've been listening um, tonight. So, um, uh, and Jane's got one list. You might want to pick out one or two from your list, and I've got uh, one or two um, here as well. Um, we've heard a lot about temples in the Bible in your presentation. Uh, is there a place of sacrifice in the account you give there? Temples as places for sacrifice? And is there something that... that um, uh, that has to say about the sacrifices involved in making home. Yeah, um, uh, uh, um, I suppose if the, the thrust of the question is about the sacrifice for the sake of home, I, I, I think that that's quite right. And it seems to me that um, to have a home, in some sense, each person in the home has to be willing to take these journeys with other people and they will, from certain vantage point, look like sacrifices. I give up something of what I have had in mind for 
particular afternoon to take a very small, completely ordinary example. And I say, okay, so the precedents go somewhere else. Let's shift that. Uh, my own thing is put in the background for this uh, in service of a larger home. And that happens all the time in the course of every single day, multiple times in the course of every single year and sometimes in very small ways and at other times in major ways and hopefully there is a kind of circle of reciprocity of giving and taking journeys with one another which is the only way actually to maintain a home, uh, the only way to keep it uh, alive and only way not to close yourself in into yourself and just like atomized, aggregated things inhabit these uh, places that we call homes, but that in fact they aren't. And there's a, a couple of questions here which are related to different kinds of, um, I guess, family units. So one is about, you know, what would you say to people wanting to make a f make find or make a family home, um, but not necessarily with a biological or adoptive nuclear family? There's another question about what does home have to say to single people who live alone? Um, what, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do think that there are, there are other types of homes than just familial one, uh, whether it's... Um, family of adopted um, children, non-biological, non or whether it's a second family or whatever that might, uh, that might be. I think there are communities that can be built and that function as, uh, as home. I think monastic communities sometimes function as, as homes. In my, uh, to go back to the question of the church, uh, I would rather think of monastic communities as the kind of anticipations of the heavenly glory in the here and now, in the material space, in the rhythm of, uh, of their mutual uh, uh, of services and the interactions that, that they might have. That seems to me like a very good, uh, good example. And you have a, a home, those kinds of monastic homes that are divided uh, by gender. Uh, so I can imagine uh, home of friends, or however you might call it. I, I uh, frankly, uh, I don't know what to do with single homes. Uh, and I'd have to think about it, uh, um, because quite few of us, um, people are single and they feel a particular space as their home. Uh, and I take it that there can be a relationship to material, uh, environment, material space as one's home. Um, it seemed to me that to home belong also some kind of social uh, relations, but that may not be the case necessarily. There may be other forms of social relations that a person who has uh, an individual, lives as an individual in a space and has a home uh, may nurture. So I think that may be related to the issue of privacy and hospitality. Yeah. Single people, families can be hospitable. Can, can open a space for others for, for, for that sense of relationship. That, I mean, there have to be more than material understandings of, uh, and even of, of home and relation. I mean, one of the, the most at-home people I know is a hermit mm. um, who lives on her own in the middle of nowhere and sees people hardly ever. 
yeah. um, but belongs in the world and has networks of people that she prays for yeah. um, in far more committedly than than yeah. I do and and that's that so she's got a bigger concept of home than I have in all kinds of ways and I think that's a, a, a helpful yeah. challenge yeah. and um, again to sort of keep reimagining. Yeah, I, uh, I like this very much. Yeah. I like what you said. I, I think, I think there there can be relations, kind of a relatively stable relation, relations of attachment to others who do not necessarily live in the same space, yeah. and that makes up for something like a home. Yeah, it's very good. I, I've got I a, like that. A really interesting. Sorry, Graham. So I was just going to just um, follow up your comments about um, monastic communities. Like, how you would read the kind of more peripatetic monastic. Community, so you know the Franciscans, who, for whom, it's it's about wandering, it's about mm. travelling, it's about movement, and there's always been a strand of the Christian Church that's taken that sense of you know, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, yeah, yeah. and therefore actually sort of moving around from place to place is part of the Christian life, the apostolic lifestyle. Actually, not having a home, not having a sort of special space. Uh, I, I think there is there is clearly a value in that. Yeah. I, I wouldn't want to set this type of homelessness in opposition to having a home. Um, uh, I, I don't think Jesus sets it in opposition to home. Uh, I think his own homelessness is dependent on homes, both his own home from which he came, on the home, home of Mary and uh, Martha and, and Lazarus, on other forms of home. Interestingly, and Capernaum is called his home. You know, yes, so he goes home to that place where. Yeah. Was Peter's home was, or, yeah. or you can put, you, you can see it. For instance, uh, when he gives charge to the disciples to go, and this is this is more ra most radical forms of s kind of severing oneself from home that he demands of them. No purse, no food, nothing. You are just naked self uh, with one shirt. Uh, is two or one? Two, I think you've got. Um, and uh, and that, that's 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 it, right? But when they come into a, a, a plus, stay there and first say peace to this house. Now, peace to the house means well-being, means this is not, I'm not here to dissolve this place. I'm here to bless it, to make it flourish. Right? So I see homelessness and in this sense, which is elective homelessness, different than the homelessness that's forced upon people, uh, a, a quite, a, quite an important dynamic and thing that we should maybe be a little bit more homeless uh, of the type in which Francis of Assisi was and Jesus was and many through the centuries have been. This is sort of a question about um, homelessness. Um, it's a really interesting one. God didn't need to create the world. If the world is God's home, what does that say about the necessity of home for God and for us? It's, it's a, a choice on God's part. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's a slight difference between us and God. <laughs> uh, and, and I think some of that slight difference uh, consists in us being kind of material uh, critters, uh, fragile material critters that uh, have a limited uh, space of uh, uh, possibilities of, of relating to others. We aren't uh, everywhere at the same time or something of that sort. We... And God's creating, God's creating a home is an act of, as I would read it, obviously there are big debates about this, but act of uh, superabundant, overflowing love uh, to create a, another in which whom 
God can delight and with whom God can be. And in that sense, it's a kind of elective creation of home that for us are necessity, but for God are an expression of superabundant love. The original title of this lecture was God's Love, God's Home. <laughs> and the idea was, we got too big. Uh, <laughs> the, the idea was to think about the relationship of this unconditionality of God's love in creating the world f uh, as a home for God. I'm not even willing to say necessarily that this is the home of God, right? This is a home of God. For us, it is the home. But for God, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I can't uh, contain, uh, the world cannot contain God in that sense. So, so that's, that's kind of my musings, if you want. Home as an expression of God's love for something that's different and with, which, with uh, whom he, God, wants to abide. Because presumably God's home is God. Yeah. And, uh, and so the question is, is, th is that... Um, is that what we're aiming for? A point where actually we don't need any other home but God? That's a bit what the revelation vision seems to suggest. Or do you think it is part of what of being a created being that we need a home that is? Yeah, that, that's, that's where, I, where I have gone with it. That is to say, it's not that we are... Uh, it's the Holy of Holies is in the temple, which is God, right? So the, the movement of being in something that's larger, uh, namely God, uh, uh, is there. But, but this other downward movement of God is, I think, significant as well. That is to say, it is that God comes into the New Jerusalem, into the creation. Um, of course, the creation itself is then in God. Uh, but uh, that validates creation as a site of God's presence. That's what I would, where I would go with it. And there's a question here. That you says, almost, you almost got me on this one. I, 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 I was <laughs> exitus and reditus was coming back. <laughs> Jane, Jane always gets you in the end. Uh, yeah, Jane does. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, there's a question here about. Um, if you take God's homemaking as a pattern, this is the world becoming God's home, what are the implications for our own homemaking? You're talking to someone who's setting up a home, creating a home, creating a space that feels like home. What does God's making this world home say to us who make homes and good homes? Yeah, I, I think we kind of have an inkling in our imagination, ordinary imagination of what the good home is, a, a kind of unconditionality of love that's given to a newborn when they, they, they come into home. What, what happens before um, a new one arrives? A flurry of activity in order to prepare this space in which they would be feel welcome in which we can imagine them being uh, at home, a kind of attentiveness that is extraordinary. And that's in a sense what I think and what I see in the <clears throat> on the first pages of the Bible. Uh, Eden, uh, many scholars, so maybe, I don't know many, some scholars at least I would say, have interpreted Eden as a temple. Uh, 
And there are imageries, imagery of Eden can be seen in the temple in Jerusalem in varieties uh, of ways, and that seems to be reflected in the way in which Eden has been constructed in, in Genesis uh, 2. So that's the kind of, you see, homemaking uh, at work, God's homemaking at work in a primal history. That's how it looks like, preparing this world in which human beings uh, serve the garden and serve at the same time God, in which God dwells. And we are there at one with ourselves. I mean, that's what, uh, what nakedness uh, presumes, a known distance from the self from which to judge oneself in, and look at oneself in the eyes of others, but rather truly at home in one's own skin, truly at home with another, truly at home with an environment. And that's all because there is this extraordinary God who doesn't need a home, but makes a home and who attends to the creatures uh, who he has created and attends with um, absolutely beautiful and extraordinary care. I think that's what we do. And that, that idea of attentiveness I find really helpful because it's um, just it drives about two, two things we, th we, we actually do with our homes these days. One is in the average home, the times when we're all actually sort of down on our smartphones, actually not <laughs> looking at each other, not paying attention to one another. And uh, you know the classic picture of the family meal, which is now the the, the family all on their phones, yeah. rather than talking to each other. That's I mean you know plead guilty here. Um, that sort of lack of attentiveness doesn't create a home. Similarly, we get all kinds of TV programs which are all about you know location, 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 or you know finding your ideal home and buying this house and and decorating it in the most perfect way, and that somehow is meant to be the home. But of course, that is not necessarily a home because home, as you say, is not a thing. It's about a set of relations between the people who live it in and, and the, the things themselves. And so home is something much more indefinable than you'll ever get in one of those, yeah. those redecoration programs. Yeah, yeah, so that's exactly. that quality of attentiveness that we have to one another and to the things that we have within our homes actually captures something really helpful uh, in our culture of um, inattention. Yeah, yeah. Homes take time, right? Yeah. Takes, um, they, they take a certain kind of effort, yeah. a certain kind of discipline, certain kind of practices for them to become homes, to be, and for acting, for us acting home, right? So, so I've talked about home being in each one of us. It's home, we are at home when home is in each one of us and when we are in each other, right? But that takes time, that takes space, that takes nurturing. Um, and to me, that's why also the image of home is uh, really appealing. I know that other times the image of kingdom of God, for instance, was very, very important. I don't want to diminish the importance uh, of that, but it lacks for me this uh, more intimate interrelational space, a sphere that is so much lacking and uh, so important uh, for us today. So is it sometimes appropriate to say you, you cannot share my home? You're, you may not be at home with me. You're not welcome in my home. It's, a, it's again a, a question that comes out of thinking about generous orthodoxy. Um, when do we evoke the boundaries and say, if I allow that, then it can't be home? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, think, I think that clearly the answer must be yes to this. 
right? There, there seemed to me that each one of us can imagine very clearly a situation where uh, either Holmes has unhomed itself uh, or a person in the home has unhomed themselves. Um, I think a kind of sense of mutual affection, a sense of, uh, um, and obviously uh, that that waxes and wanes, the, the, the kind of sense of truly truly belonging, but a sense of a shared vision also has to be there. Now the crucial question here, as in many other instances that we talked earlier, um, is what what are those lines? What are the home breaking lines? Uh, the story of the prodigal is an example where, sure, the prodigal left, uh, but the prodigal did not. Uh, but, but the prodigal did not disappear from the father's heart. Right? He was the prodigal was always part of that home, which is to say, father has kind of transformed himself into the father of the prodigal, but had not given up on the prodigal. Where we draw the line, that would be a matter of, I think, not kind of rule-based uh, decision, but rather matter of wisdom. How do we know where lines are being drawn? One of the things, that, many things I find so poignant about that story is that the prodigal has a stronger sense of a place where he will be welcomed, where mm. he can come home, than the son who never left. Mm-hmm. The son who never left is still thinking of it as some kind of contract between himself right, right. and his father, not a home. Yeah. It's really yes, exactly. extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. Which is there are two ways of, un- uh, there were two unhomed brothers <laughs> in a very different way. Just, just before we um, come to a close, Marislav, just take you back to the theme of, uh, of generous orthodoxy and, um, and just to say a little bit more about that, you, you started with some really helpful comments about, about that and that sense of how we hold orthodoxy and generosity at the same time, because I guess it maps onto this sense of, of, of the protection of home, but also the openness yeah. to the other. Yeah. And uh, is that how you see generous orthodoxy playing out when you think of that phrase? Yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a tension built in in that, uh, in that phrase. Or, um, or, or there's a kind of account of generosity that, isn't prodigality. Uh, is that the right word for it? That isn't just simply uh, letting go of everything. Um, and how, again, one discerns what needs to be kept and what, where the give can take place. Um, how does one manage the change in time? Sometimes conflicts in the in churches and around orthodoxy are cultural conflicts, in the guise of theological uh, conflicts. What is that? Uh, where's the line between tr- truly what matters? How do we identify the center, and then how do we manage uh, boundaries? I, I think that's why I thought that the idea of home is not dissimilar to that. It's actually the way we. Well, manage well our homes is also the way in which we manage well our kind of Christian home in the tradition, right? Tradition is a kind of home, right? Yeah, that orthodoxy is in itself generous. Yeah. And generosity is being orthodox. It's orthodoxy in, in practice, if you like. And orthodoxy is creating home yeah. But, yeah. and making us stretch our understanding of home. That's yeah. really helpful. Yeah. yeah. 
Miroslav, thank you so much for all you've uh, offered us tonight. You've um, expanded our minds, our horizons, and uh, giving us a sense of uh, not just our own homes, but of this world as, as, as God's home. It's been a fascinating evening, uh, both with what you've offered us in the lecture and in the discussion since then. And thank you all for your questions as well. I'm sorry if we didn't get to answer all of them, but um, there's some really good questions that have come in as part of that. And um, I guess as we all go home tonight, um, we will maybe see our homes in a slightly different light. We will value them um, uh, and also see them in some ways as a sign of, of the... Of the uh, trajectory that of, uh, that of this world, the ways we look forward to the day when this world truly, truly will be God's home. So thank you so much, Miroslav, for all you've offered us tonight. Let's uh, give Miroslav a Godpod, a podcast from St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try.